Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake, joined by a refreshed Gabby Rudia. Have some news, thoughts, uh, opinions to dive into, and... Uh, we are going to do that here. We're going to kind of do a dive, a deeper dive on the coordinator hires, uh, give some background on. And we are going to take a break and we are going to dive into some schedule talk. Um, the ACC released the conference schedule the Monday before signing day. So from our perspective, not the most ideal time to dive into that. Uh, but now that we are past signing day, we're going to share our quick thoughts, first impressions on the 2022 football schedule. So Gabby, um, on Sunday, the reports leaked out. Uh, still not official, but it is official, basically, that Josh Gaddis is going to be Miami's offensive coordinator. Uh, what was your first impression when those reports started leaking out? Yeah, um, I was I was pretty blown away. And I mean, I think it just kind of, finally, I think it really put me in that place where it's just like, you just can't put anything past Mario Cristobal at this point. I mean, there was a reason why this process took as long as it did. Um, I mean, landing the Broyles award winner for the nation's top assistant as your offensive coordinator after like when he was on a team that made a college football playoff appearance, obviously I think there were some other circumstances that probably allowed that to be possible, but still going after it and getting a guy like that and get another guy that spent time at Alabama and all that stuff. I, I mean, just an absolute home run in my opinion, you know, just considering, you know, even just the recruiting implications of, you know, guys that he was already kind of going after here locally uh, what that meant for Miami and some of those battles. Uh, I, I thought it was just, I thought it was awesome. I thought that was a, a big win for, for Miami. And, you know, to get a guy like Josh Gaddis, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of, I don't know how much more you could really ask for an up and comer like that. That's already found a ton of success. So zoom is telling me I'm having a little bit of connection issues. I apologize for that. If that's the case here in the recording, we're going to power through. I think things look okay and stable now. Uh, but yeah, Definitely a big time hire. I guess, what what do you like most about the Josh Gaddis hire? Um, I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot that I sort of like about it. Um, I think his willingness to sort of adapt to personnel is big. I mean, just sort of watching some of the, the tape from that 2018 Alabama run where he was the co-offensive coordinator 
Um, you know, just with Tua, you know, that I mean, really just watching those highlights, it was just ridiculous what that roster looked like. But still, how he drew it up, um, you know, I thought it was really impressive. A lot of what Miami sort of already sort of does in terms of just kind of opening it up with with space, you know, taking shots downfield, also sort of implementing that power run game that Mario Cristobal, you know, definitely wants to hold on to just because that is sort of his bread and butter being an offensive line guy. Um, then his, his ability to just adapt to personnel at Michigan. I mean, you watch 2021 Michigan. And um, I'm not sure that's that's his exact vision for what he wants his offense to be. Uh, you know, right. when you just hear him talk about it, but you saw how it was clear that Michigan was really big time up front with those offensive linemen, uh, you know, had some strong running backs with, uh, you know, Hassan Haskins and some of those other guys and how he just sort of, you know, lined it up and just powered through some of those guys. I mean, just watching the Ohio state game all over again. I mean, six rushing touchdowns in that game. Uh, you know, definitely used the run to dial up the pass a little bit. They did take a few shots downfield and those worked out. Um, did use a little bit of trickery with, uh, you know, uh, using Donovan Edwards as a, as a, you know, sort of like a flea flicker to him, I guess. And then, well, I guess running back pass that he threw a touchdown, like, you know, against Iowa in the big 10 championship game, he can, he can draw it up a ton of different ways, but you can tell that at Michigan, he really adapted to what the team's strengths were. But I think at his core, he is more of what we saw from that 2018 Alabama team. And that's at its finest. I mean, tons of first round right. picks on that offense. I'm not saying Miami's going to, you know, <laughs> do what they did, but that style and the way that they sort of attacked it from that perspective, I think is more of who Josh Gaddis is as a person. And, you know, Andrew Ivan's caught up with Jalen Brown, the five-star receiver here at Gulliver prep. And just, you know, even what Brown has heard from uh, Josh Gaddis, who has been recruiting him for a while at Michigan, he says it like that. Those are his exact words too, that, you know, Josh Gaddis has the ability to adapt to his personnel. And when he has a quarterback and, and receivers, he's willing to air it right. out. When he knows he can run it, that's what he's going to do. So, you know, I don't think he's married to any sort of system. But again, I, I do appreciate his willingness to adapt and to and, you know, really at his core, it is to push the ball downfield and to, you know, get those wide outs and those quarterbacks involved. Adapting to personnel, I think, is one of the more underrated uh, traits of a coach. Um, because look, I mean, he's going to have to do it again with this Miami, uh, personnel, right? Uh, he's going from Michigan where they had the power offensive line, the power running backs. Um, that's not Miami's personnel, you know, no. Miami's Miami's offensive line. I think is, it's fair to say is more finesse. Now he does upgrade his quarterback situation. I think, uh, obviously Tyler Van Dyke, um, and, you know, receivers, I think there's some talent there, but it's a little bit unproven. Right. Um, so he's gonna, he's gonna have to adapt and figure out the strengths here during the summer, spring, summer, fall camp and, uh, adjust accordingly. Um, Kevin Steele, you know, we've had a little more time to simmer on that too. Would you say, you know, it, it's fair to say the same things about Kevin Steele, I think, uh, adapts to personnel solid game planner, good evaluator. Um, you know, I Gaddis as well, big time recruiter. Right. Um, so I think Mario's got two coordinators here that are willing recruiters. I think Kevin Steele in particular is a very good evaluator. Um, he can identify big time talent and say to Mario, who is a recruiting maniac, Hey, go get me this guy. Mario can reel him in. Right. Uh, but Kevin Steele, now that you've had more time to kind of simmer on that, uh, what, what do you like most about that hire at DC? 
Yeah. I mean, I feel like I still kind of keep coming back to the same thoughts. Like it just feels like you have a veteran, you know, sort of coaching that defense. I think it's one of, you know, just really a big time defensive coordinator, a guy that's been around, the guy that's, you know, worked at all these major places that's been at the, at the SEC. I mean, really, you were looking at the way that the staff is building out and it feels like an SEC staff. Like, I feel like you take off logos and you remove conference titles and all that stuff. And you look at this staff on paper, you're not going to put that, you're not going to put that team in the ACC category. You're going to probably move that, that roster of coaches uh, and probably assume that's probably one of these SEC schools. So you know, I think that Kevin Steele just brings a lot of just big time experience. I mean, just kind of going through some numbers. Uh, I saw that, you know, just even more more recently, his time at Auburn, his defense finished as high as second and never lower right. than six in the SEC in yards allowed per game. And, you know, just some, for some added context, Miami finished seventh in the, in the ACC in 2021 and sixth in the ACC in, in 2020. So, you know, I think that this is a guy that's really just going to come and create a new identity for this Hurricanes defense. We saw some of it, you know, in 2017, 2018, even really 2019. I think they finished second in the ACC in, 20, in 2019 in uh, yards per game. But, you know, this is a guy I think could bring some of that back. I think that's a little bit of what Miami was missing. I feel like they lost that a little bit. And I think Kevin Steele is just, you know, a guy that just brings that. I mean, you, you, I think you said it best, David. He's just an adult in the room that is going to, you know, really get these things right. And yeah, the personnel's there. And I think just someone like that is going to get that extra something out of this unit that with a lot of young guys that are really coming up, a lot of promising talent that, you know, between Leonard Taylor, James Williams, Cam Kitchens, and, you know, even some of the cornerbacks, you got some vets and Tyreek Stevenson coming back. And maybe you can get some more out of these, these edge guys as well if you can draw it up. So uh, I'm excited about Kevin Steele. I think that he's a big-time defensive coordinator, and I think that's what Miami needs at this point. Yeah, so let's bring it back big picture, right? Uh, and and discuss it, discuss this in terms of OC and DC pairings, right? And let's compare uh, the offensive coordinator hire and defensive coordinator at hires from a pair standpoint that Miami made uh, to the other openings, right, around the country, the other new staffs, right? Um, just for context, right? Because, I mean, we all had to be patient for these hires, right? Uh, there was a lot of angst, um, which I get, right? This was unconventional, how long we had to wait. But as we preached, right, going into signing day, I'm all about the end result, right? Let's discuss the results, right? So let's compare uh, Josh Gaddis and Kevin Steele's hirings to other openings, right? Florida. Now, I will say some of these, some of these new hires, uh, some of those coaches do handle play calling duties, whether that's on offense or defense, right? But let's just talk strict OC and DC, right? So Florida, their offensive coordinator, uh, they went and got Rob Sale, I believe from the Giants. He's kind of an offensive lineman background. So I think Florida has two offensive line coaches. Uh, their defensive coordinator they brought from Louisiana. Uh, his name is Patrick Tony. Um, I have to admit, I don't know much about Patrick Tony, but uh, he is from that Billy Napier tree now. Uh, they brought him over. So there's that. We can, we can have a discussion. We can decide whether or not Miami's pairing is better than that pairing. LSU, they went and got Mike Denbrock from Cincinnati for their offensive coordinator job. And they hired Matt House, who I think was a linebackers coach in the NFL, I think with the Chiefs, if I have that right. 
So we can discuss whether or not Miami had a better hiring pair there. Uh, Oklahoma went out and got Jeff Levy uh, from Mississippi. Good hire there. Their defensive coordinator is Ted Roof, kind of a veteran coach. Obviously, Venables will be uh, will have a say in game planning and, and calling the defense there on Saturdays. Oregon went out and got Kenny Dillingham from Florida State to be their OC. And uh, Tosh Lapoy is their DC. And then USC, Josh Henson, who I think was the offensive line coach at Texas A&M, uh, they hired him as the OC. Of course, Lincoln Riley is their play caller. He's essentially their OC. And then Alex Grinch, they brought over uh, from Oklahoma as the DC. So these are like the marquee uh, openings for this college football hiring cycle. How would you say Miami's pairing compares to those openings? I mean, I, I do feel like there, I mean, people made some, some quality hires and all that stuff, but sure. I mean, I, is there, is I, anyone I, I, clearly better? No, that's what I'm saying. Right. Like, I don't think anyone's clearly better. Um, you know, especially when, I mean, some of the in-state guys, I mean, Florida, I would definitely take Miami. My, I mean, Broyles award reigning Broyles award winner, and you got a Broyles Award finalist that's also been the D.C. at Alabama and LSU and Clemson and a bunch of other places, just a ton of experience. I mean, I would take Miami's over any of them. And I think you sort of read the buzz coming out of the national media. You're kind of seeing how the narrative is shifting a little bit between Miami's being right. a disaster of a coaching hire to Mario Cristobal absolutely knocking it out of the park. So, um, you know, I think that when you're looking at this Miami coaching staff or just the coordinators uh, around the country again with these new hires, I mean, I think you put what Mario Cristobal's done amongst the best of the hires of the offseason. I'm cu curious what some of these guys are going to grade it when it's all said and done, because I know initially, uh, you know, we're, weren't getting such super high results from some of those people making those decisions. Yeah, and look, I, I mean, obviously we're a little biased, right? We're a little homer, but uh, I would probably argue Miami's pairing is the best pairing, just strictly OCDC. Yeah. And there's some nuance required because some of these head coaches handle play calling duties on one side of the ball or the other. Uh, but okay, if you push back, Miami's hiring uh, of OC and DC is not the best. It's at least at the same level of, as whatever, right? You know, whichever pairing you grade higher. And I think that both of these coordinators have head coaching potential. Like I know Josh Gaddis was in the mix for the Virginia opening. Um, you know, right. I guess if Jim Harbaugh would have left, I think he would have liked, I don't know if he would have got it, yes. but I think he might've been a candidate for the Michigan opening. Uh, Kevin Steele now with Auburn, I guess is getting some buzz if they were to make him like, you know, yeah. I think both of these guys are potential power five head coaches or have the capability to be power five head coaches. Um, if not right now in the, in, in the future. So I think that I don't know how many and other Steel has been one, right. Yeah, at Baylor, at Baylor, he, like that didn't go day. well, but exactly. he was. it didn't sound like it went <laughs> super well, but um, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know how many of these other coordinators or situations you could say that about, about the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, maybe some, maybe some at the G five level, but I mean, guys that are getting power five head coaching looks uh, I'm not sure if any of these other staffs put together a group like that. And you brought up Kevin Steele. So uh, let me just share kind of what I'm hearing about that situation, right? Obviously, if 
it, it looks like it's, you know, the writings on the wall with Brian Harson and Auburn, right? Um, it would be a surprise if they didn't move on there. Um, so let's say when they do move on, right? We all know the Auburn boosters have an infatuation with Kevin Steele. He's well-respected there. Um, quite frankly, they, they tried a coup to uh, make him the head coach at Auburn last time. So would they revisit Kevin Steele this time? I think he would get a look. Um, I will say this. I've been told that Kevin Steele is telling the people around him that ask him about it, hey, I'm really not that interested. I have a good job at Miami right now. That's where my focus is. So that's what he's saying, right? But I do think, you know, that tune can change when you are straight up offered a job, right? So if he does get offered the Auburn job, is he going to turn it down? I would be surprised if that happens. I would be surprised if Steele turned it down, right? So that is one thing to keep keep in mind. Um, I, I get the vibe, though, from the coaching industry, right, that if Auburn did make a move, I kind of think their number one target would be Hugh Freeze, right? Um, if Hugh Freeze got offered that job, he would absolutely take it. Um, and it'd be a good fit. Um, so I think the first, you know, in terms of Kevin Steele and Auburn, to me, the thing to watch there, you know, when, when, or if they do move on from Brian Harson, um, what's the vibe, what's the buzz on Hugh freeze. Uh, if Hugh freeze does turn it down, then we're going to have to really watch this Kevin Steele situation closely, I think. So, um, that's all I got there. And look, I think too, right. With, with uncertainty, if I'm Miami and there's some coaches over there, I would cherry pick that staff. Um, there is some quality coaches over there that I think are worth exploring. Um, and so we will see if, if Miami takes advantage of that as they continue to fill out their staff. Um, let's discuss, I mean, we already talked about a little bit, but like the vision for this offense, right? Um, do you think, because I think it's fair to say, right, that you and I think, and I think Mario said this, right, on the Josh Pate interview on Late Kick on Sunday night. If you all haven't seen that, Great interview, great insight. Um, clearly, Mario wanted to get ahead of the fan narrative or the social media narrative from rivals, uh, rival fan bases that were running with the whole, oh, Mario's going to run a run-first offense because he went and got Michigan's offensive coordinator, right? Mario was asked by Josh Pate, what is your vision for the offense? He basically said, 2018 Alabama right? And if you go and look at the stats, right? Well, first of all, the personnel is just ridiculous. So oh Miami's God. got to so crazy. <laughs> they got a ways to go to get there, right? So that, you know, quarterback was Tua. Running backs, they had a three-headed monster, Damian Harris, Josh Jacobs, Najee Harris. Wide receivers, four-headed monster, all first-round picks, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith was the fourth receiver, <laughs> And then he won a Heisman, so. Uh, right. And even their backup quarterback was Jalen Hurts. Like, this, it's just stupid. 
Irv Smith was their tight yeah. end. He had like 700 yards that year yeah, too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you go and look at those stats, right? Three, they averaged 323 passing yards per game, 198 rushing yards per game. Um, and look, this is an, I mean, obviously we all agree. This is an explosive offense, right, Gabby? Yeah. Yeah. So here was their passing and rushing attempt splits. 29 passing attempts per game, 38 rushing attempts per game, right? Uh, so they ran the ball more than they passed. They averaged 7.4 yards per play. Um, so I think this narrative of, you know, Miami's going to be a run first offense. Why would wide receivers want to come play in this offense? Number one, as we discussed, that's not, that's not what Josh Gaddis wants to do. Josh, he's a wide receivers coach. He's not going to want to do a, a three yards in a cloud of dust type of offense. Yeah. Um, but he does want to play to the strengths of his personnel. Um, and so to me, right, the key, the key for this vision, in my opinion, Gabby, is Mario Cristobal's specialty. It's the offensive line. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Because I think 100%. I think Miami, you know, they're in a good situation at quarterback, I would argue, for at least three more years, at least. Um, so I think quarterback's in a good spot. I think they can flip it quickly at wide receiver and, and maybe even these young guys, if they really do take that next step, that might be in a good spot this year. Running backs, I think is in a pretty good spot. It's just, it, it's going to come down to offensive line because those Alabama teams, right? I mean, all those skill players we named, yeah, they get all the attention, but it's that offensive line that really allows them to be a balanced explosive offense. Yeah, and just watching them, uh, and you see how, like, even when they drop back and pass two, it has, like, seven seconds to to find Jerry Judy or Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle or Henry Ruggs downfield. And, yeah, it, I think it definitely starts with the offensive line. And, you know, once they build that up, I think you could see it get to that point. But, I mean, when we're talking about playing to strengths right now, I think we saw, especially once Tyler Van Dyke got rolling, that the strength of the team is, is letting it rip, man, just airing it out and right. just letting him just sort of, you know, do what he does. And so that's why I'm pretty, that's why I'm encouraged about, you know, at least right now, as Miami works towards building up that offensive line, you know, we're going to see Tyler Van Dyke have a chance to, you know, really spin it, man, and see how I'm maybe, I'm not sure if it's going to look exactly how it looked, you know, toward, you know, tail end of 2021, but I am encouraged about the way that this team is going to sort of attack defenses through the air. I mean, I think that is the yeah. strength of you have, you have the quarterback, you have a potential Sunday quarterback, uh, you know, in Tyler Van Dyke. And I think that that is going to be the focal point of the offense. And even moving forward with Jake Garcia and even Jakari Brown, I think that I think by the time maybe Jakari Brown's time is up, I think the offense could look really, really interesting because you even saw how Josh Gaddis used Tua a little bit, how he'll roll him out and even had him, you know, run and, you know, do certain things like that. And, uh, you know, I'd be, I'm going to be pretty excited about what that offense looks like. Yeah. I, I do think, Um, they are going to lean more on the passing game than on the running game because of the offensive line, right? The offensive line just can't, it doesn't have the personnel at this point entering spring football to impo impose their will physically in the run game, right? That's an area that Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal need to address. Yeah. Um, 
that just takes time though, right? Exactly. You're not, you can't fool. big time transfers, right? Um, you know, I, I went and looked at, at Oregon too, right? Um, and when, when Justin Herbert was there, uh, their passing attempt and rushing attempt splits, I think it was 2019 was his last year there, uh, 32 passing attempts per game, 36 rushing attempts per game. So that was pretty 50-50, right? Yeah. Um, and I will say this about those Herbert teams, the receivers he had to work with weren't very impressive that year in 2019, I think Herbert threw for, uh, 3,500 yards about, and they only had one receiver total more than 500 yards. Um, so even those Oregon teams, right. Even though they did have Justin Herbert, who no doubt is a big, big, big time quarterback, um, that Oregon receiving personnel. And I would argue it's still, well, at least in 2021, uh, it was still kind of above average, average for a power five team. Um, these Oregon teams under Mario Cristobal, their strength, their personnel uh, was best at running the ball. Their offensive lines were very good. Their running backs were very good. They're going to have, you know, I don't think they're going pro yet, but they'll have some, some running backs from Oregon going drafted, I think in next year's draft. Um, so again, it's just simply smart coaching to lean on your, your, what your personnel does best. You yeah. know, we saw what Anthony Brown was last year, right. And, and their splits, this is Oregon's quarterback. Their splits last year, 29 passing attempts, 38 rushing attempts. That's about right for what we saw mm-hmm. with Anthony Brown's ability, right. Um, so I'm excited about the vision. Honestly, it's going to boil down to recruiting. How much can you stack the talent on the offensive line? Again, I think wide receiver talent's going to be fine. Running back talent's going to be fine. Quarterback, you got to nail those. You got to nail those takes. Um, but I do think they have quality quarterbacks in the pipeline right now, uh, after Tyler Van Dyke. So, um, we will see. How close, and again, it's not going to be immediate. Don't get us, don't get it twisted. We're not saying 2022 Miami is going to look like 2018 Alabama. (laughs) But I think maybe in year three of this Mario Cristobal era at Miami, how close is this going to start looking like that balanced type of Alabama offense that can throw it on you, that can run it on you, has an offensive line that can, control the line of scrimmage. That's, that's what I'll be interested to watch. And it's, it's just going to take time. Um, let we just, we, we got into this a little bit, Gabby, but the value of waiting to hire coaches, do you think being so patient at the end of the day, did it work out for Mario? Did he improve what he could have hired? Uh, you know, when he did hire compared to what he could have hired a week or two on the job, in your opinion, both at OC and DC. Yeah. I mean, does, is Josh Gaddis available even like two weeks ago? Like, I don't, I'm not sure if Josh Gaddis is even considering living Michigan before, like, you know, the whole Jim Harbaugh uh, taking the Vikings interview, kind of thinking he was going to get it, telling coaches to maybe go, 
take the week to interview for other jobs. Like if that doesn't happen, you know, Josh Gaddish is probably might not be at Miami. I mean, realistically, like how often do you see guys like that leave? So, um, you know, I think kind of wait, like taking his time through this process, letting it all sort of play out, uh, you know, it, it opens doors and this, I mean, uh, the Josh Gaddis door is one that opened that might not have been open if Mario Cristobal would have made a hire on December 20th, you right. know? So, um, you know, I think that the patient approach is, it's frustrating and the pro the process is pretty grueling. And I think it could lead to a lot of, you know, what we saw impatience and, you know, fa I mean, yep. from a fan's standpoint, having to deal with the trolls and all that. I mean, whatever all that stuff is. But yeah. I think you need to let the process play out. And you can tell that Mario Cristobal is thorough. David, I know you gave plenty of examples about how he hired a, a DC or maybe it was the OC in like mid-February one year. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this is just the way he does things. And I think that this was a good, I think this was a good way for Miami fans to sort of embrace the process. We all know now. We know now what it's going to be because look, this is pro I mean, when you hire big time coordinators like this, I mean, sort of they're like I was saying, on. they're going to move on. You're going to we're going to have to go through this process again. But I think now Miami fans could be, I think the next time they kind of have to go through this, it's going to be, okay, we know that this works and we know right. that this is not going to be fun. And you know, it's going to be dicey and all those things. And it's not going to be about the perfect timeline, but the timeline that Mario Cristobal is operating on is his own and not ours and not the traditional one. So um, I think that this was a good way for Miami fans to sort of get a taste of the Mario Cristobal process. So I think waiting and all that stuff worked out. Kevin Steele, I thought, was big time. Uh, there were other guys in place, but ultimately I think Kevin Steele is a great fit. Um, I don't think he was the only fit, but I do really like the hire. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it, it all worked out when it's all said and done. At the end of the day, these guys aren't even in spring. They won't be in spring ball for probably another month or so. They're still in the strength program. There's still plenty of time to get this thing going. So um, I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, again, the, you just got to kind of hang on tight, but I think it's, I think it was worth it. Yeah. Let's give a peek behind the curtain, just in terms of like what we know, right. Throughout the whole process, like you said, Gabby, it was grueling for the fan base is grueling for us to keep yeah. up with. Right. I mean, you know, Mario literally talks to, I mean, it's, it's at least 10, it could be close to 20 in terms of like just OCs, right? Just the OC. He really is diligent. He really does explore every option. Um, so I just want to go through quickly, just, you know, some of the names we knew that were maybe at play somewhat or had a conversation somewhat with Mario, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe what we know, uh, kind of happened throughout the process, you know, through reporting and just knowing what we know. Um, so yeah, I will say, you know, I, I think Gabby, like, let's say Mario wanted to make a hire, uh, within two weeks of being on the job. In my opinion, the guy he could have gone out and got, um, is Kendall Bryles, right? I think Kendall Bryles, was really, really interested in the job. He was very aggressive uh, when Mario was first hired. They definitely talked. Um, so what happened there? You know, again, Mario's going to be thorough. If you're interested in working for Mario, you're going to have to be patient. Uh, Bryles did wait. He waited, you know, till what, mid-January? when those reports, whether or not you want to believe them, leaked out. 
that he was offered the job. We've said here that we don't think that is true. Uh, but basically, my read on that situation, Browse got tired of waiting, got tired of being, you know, kept warm. So he leaked out the info uh, that he was offered by Miami to just get a raise from Arkansas and be done with that situation. Jason Candle, right? The Toledo head coach. Uh, when that news leaked, it was a bad sign that it could happen. He is, you know, the Bryles leaking of, of being an offer to job, I don't think is true. I do think the Candle situation was true. I do think there was legitimate interest on both sides. Um, I'm not sure if Candle wanted to keep things quiet until after National Signing Day, or if he just wanted to keep things quiet before he was totally ready to make a decision. But when that news did leak, Candle wasn't ready to make a decision. So he ultimately decided to stay at Toledo. Um, Joe Brady, you know, there was interest there early on in the process when Mario was hired. Joe Brady was pretty transparent with Mario saying, hey, I'm really just more interested in, in staying at the NFL level. I think I can get an OC job. When it became clear he wasn't going to get an OC job, Mario circled back around on him, uh, re-engaged those talks. And even then, Joe Brady just kind of felt like, yeah, I'm really just more interested in the NFL and I'm, I'm fine with being a quarterback coach at the NFL level, or even a wide receiver coach at the NFL level. Um, so that's why that one didn't happen. Ken Dorsey, you know, that was explored. Um, but that was another situation where it was pretty clear that he was going to get an OC job somewhere in the NFL. And that ended up happening. Liam Cohen, Kentucky OC, he got a raise um, from like seven hundred and seventy-five thousand to about one point one million on December third, um, which is like just—I think it's just before Mario got hired at Miami or around that same time. And so Mario reached out to him because Liam Cohen is highly respected, um, and Mario reached out to him and. Liam basically told him, yeah, I, I just signed this extension with Kentucky, got a raise. I just don't feel good about doing business like that. You're basically, he told him you're a week late. Um, so, and, and I do think Mario kind of circled back around on that one and it didn't go anywhere to that time as well. Um, Tommy Reese, right? So that's an interesting one. I, I've been told, I think, Mario and Tommy, the Notre Dame offensive coordinator, were talking the entire time. Um, a salary perspective. Um, and basically what happened was, I'm told the weekend where Josh Gaddis was hired, so Josh Gaddis was hired on Sunday, I'm told... Mario and Tommy met, um, you know, I think on Saturday and Mario basically told him, Hey, I need to. Mario reached out to Tommy Sunday. Tommy said, yeah, I just don't think I can do it. 
wicked. Josh Gaddis, um, you know, why did that fly under the radar? It flew under the radar because really those talks didn't start until Thursday-ish, so the day after signing day, right, when it would became clear that just situation where Jim Harbaugh, are you in, are you out? Um, I think Josh Gaddis too felt like he was not going to be the head coach at Michigan if Jim Harbaugh did move on. Um, so Mario used that to his advantage, right? Got his foot in the door. Hey, Josh, would you be interested in our OC situation here? And we know the results at the end of the day. So that situation, frankly, happened quickly. Miami was zeroing in on Tommy Reese. And I thought that there was a chance that guy, Tommy Reese was going to end up being the hire. So um, that's what I know about OC. Anything you want to share there, Gabby, or, or expand or ask me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, I guess the, I guess the, I mean, the Tommy Reese thing kind of fascinates me a little bit just because I think that at the, at the end of the day, would we rather have Kendall Bryles or Josh Gaddis? I mean, to me, it's Josh Gaddis all day. Right. So to me, this process took a long time, right? But at the end of the day, it, it delivered the result that I think is, is the best, the better result in terms of waiting for who the hire was, right? Um, and we mentioned too, right, that Mario does feel like, uh, whether it's the coaching carousel spinning or after National Signing Day, there's going to be a bigger pool of quality options to choose from uh, when it comes to coordinators. And that did end up happening. Now, defensive coordinator, I think we can have a, a debate on whether or not the weight really did yeah. Bring a quality option. I do think Kevin Steele's a quality option. Don't get me wrong. But um, so the names we know there, right? Glenn Schumann. I just think the feeling there is he's going to be a Kirby smart lifer um, at Georgia. So that, you know, I do think there was attempts there. It just didn't work out. Doug Belk. There's a couple things at, at play there. I think Doug Belk, who is the Houston defensive coordinator, I think he got tired of waiting, right? Yeah. Um, I think, too, the buyout was a little bit not a concern, but it was, it was something that was um, a factor with Doug yeah. Belk. I think his new contract has, like, what, a 700000 buyout or yeah. something like that? I think, it was, I think it was 750 Okay. So then you have to balance out, okay, we're going to pay Doug Belk big money. And then on top of that, pay 750,000. So at the end of the day, you could be paying for Doug Belk in year one, you know, 2 million, two and a half million, maybe depending on what his salary would be. Um, is that worth doing? Um, but also too, Doug Belk got tired of waiting. Derek Mason, who we know was looking to leave Auburn. Now he's yeah. now at Oklahoma state. 
he got tired of waiting as well. Um, I think some NFL options were explored. The feeling in the coaching community, right, is that uh, NFL NFL minds are more creative defensively than college minds. Um, so that's why Mario explored those options in terms of like position coaches at the NFL level. Um, the problem there is most of these NFL guys just want to be, you know, they just want to scheme things up. They don't, they don't want to recruit. Um, so that's kind of like a non-starter for Mario. And then, you know, ultimately landed on Kevin Steele, who, you know, he showed too, he got tired of waiting uh, because he took the Maryland job. Um, but Mario swooped in, offered him a better situation and Kevin Steele jumped at it. So, you know, I think, and look, the debate, it's an interesting debate, right? Would, would Miami have been better off hiring Doug Belk or Derek Mason compared to Kevin Steele? I think it's a fair conversation to have. Um, are those two guys definitely significant upgrades over Kevin Steele? I would push back on that. Um, but if you prefer a Doug Belk or if you prefer a Derek Mason, I totally get that. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, what, what we learned was be patient with Mario hiring coordinators. And ultimately too, when, when you're willing to spend big on, on coaches like Miami is now, you can be patient. Patience is fine. And, and it'll work out. Like if you have that yeah. money to spend, it's going to be all right. So let's, uh, let's transition to a position coach that was hired or announced as going to be hired um, on Monday night, Jamil Adai uh, from Georgia, the Georgia DB coach. Um, what did you make of this news? Yeah, man. I mean, I thought it was just a, a definitely a big time hire a guy that like Kirby smart sort of cherry picked from West Virginia, um, a guy that recruited at an extremely high level. I mean, just came finished second in the 24 seven sports recruiter rankings behind a, I think it's Elijah Robinson, who's the defensive tackles coach at Texas A&M, who was responsible for a ton of those guys for the highest rated class in the history of like recruiting. Um, so, you know, Jamel Day finished right after him. Uh, you know, he was he brought he landed Georgia Marvin Jones Jr., who a lot of Miami fans are familiar with the plantation American Heritage five star defensive lineman. Uh, Jaheen Singletary, another guy Miami fans are very uh, familiar with. Dalen Everett out of IMG Academy. Um, Julian Humphrey who is, uh, you know, one of the fastest players in the country out of uh, Texas. He also got Ja'Cory Thomas out of the Orlando area, who Miami thought that they were in a really good spot right. to get during the summer. So, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's definitely a big-time recruiter. Um, he was also a secondary recruiter for uh, Malachi Starks, who was, you know, one of the top athletes in the country. He's going to be a big-time guy for Georgia as well. So, um, you know, this is a guy that can, I mean, you, you talk about – Mario Cristobal. And I think one of the base requirements is you need to be a relentless recruiter. And I think uh, Jamel Day uh, definitely showed that he is that type. He is cut from that cloth where he is going to sort of attack it and be one of those guys that values the process of talent acquisition. And, you know, if you can do half of what he did at Georgia at Miami, I think you put up, you, I think gives him a, a really good shot to land some big time guys. He's the primary for Cormani McLean, the five-star uh, yeah. who actually just visited Georgia. So those two just, uh, you know, met up there as well. So uh, 
I like to hire. Uh, I think he's a good DB coach. And again, another sort of young rising up and comer from the Tampa area, I believe, too. So some Florida ties. Yeah, I think it's a good hire, right? Um, and you mentioned Tampa area specifically. I think it's Val Rico, which is like east of Tampa. And you mentioned Cormani McLean, right? I mean, it's not Polk County where, where Coach Adai is from, but it's probably a 30, 45 minute drive. So similar area can, you know, that bond, that connection can exist. And I would imagine that will be priority number one for coach Adai here in this 2023 cycle, uh, real in Cormani McLean. And really from Miami perspective, you got to feel good about your chances. You got coach Adai, you got DVD who's been fostering that relationship for a long time now. And then you have the maniac Mario Cristobal helping <laughs> recruiting as a head coach, right? Um, tell me this. Uh, do you, you know, as a fan, do you like that Miami punched back at Georgia a little bit? Hey, you took our wide receivers coach. We're going to take your DB coach now. Yeah, I think it's nice. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're going to trade blows with someone, uh, I think you want to trade them with the, with the reigning national champs. So um, you know, I think that that's a, I, I think that that's a, a little minor win for Miami in that one. I mean, uh, Brian McClendon was a, you know, a big loss at the time. I think that that rolls, I think everyone's sort of feeling good about the wide receiver stuff at this point, but to get another guy from that staff, again, and, and just a guys that know what it is to win that have seen the yes. process that know what it's like, you know, what it takes on a day-to-day -day basis to get it done at a, at an extremely high level. Um, you know, I, I again, I, I guess everyone keeps talking about this. I mean, just the people that he's investing in. I mean, the people that he's bringing in are all guys that know what it takes to win. And I think that that's big. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know if Miami has had this many proven winners on a coaching staff, you know, at least, I don't know. I mean, maybe when in I was younger. Yeah. I yeah. feel like maybe in, in, in some time in my like adult, like teenage to adult life. I mean, I don't think I've seen a staff of guys that have literally accomplished things at the college, at the college level, the way that this current Miami staff has. So, um, you know, I think that's a big win. And again, uh, just Miami being, being able to, you know, sort of go tick for tack with, uh, with Georgia is, is pretty cool. And coach Adai has a track record of, of on field results as well, right? Yeah. West Virginia coached the number one pass defense in the country, I think in 2020, um, you know, this Georgia defense this year, I think, you know, pass defense metrics, depending on what metrics you look at top 10, top 15, top 20. So uh, he's a guy that can definitely coach as well, not just a recruiter, but as we know, recruiting, especially I would argue at that position uh, it's vital because, you know, there's only so many shut down corners in the world. Um, so good hire there. Um, before we take a break, Gabby, what is the remaining position coach you are most curious about? Hmm. That's good. Um, maybe quarterbacks coach. Uh, yeah. I know we know God, we know Gaddis is a wide receiver guy. So I think the quarterback coach is going to be interesting. Um, I'm curious if maybe Miami still goes linebacker coach with Kevin Steele there. I feel like they will. So I think that's a big one yeah. too. I mean, linebacker is probably the unit that might need the most help right now. So I think that linebacker coach has to be, uh, you know, kind of has to be a home run. Yeah, for, for court, I agree with quarterback coach. That's an interesting one. And, and what I'm curious about is, is it going to be a guy from the Joe Moorhead coaching tree, which is what Josh Gaddis is kind of from, right? 
or is it a guy who's going to be from like the Mario tree? Cause I think they, there's options either way. Yeah. Um, you know, Jake Peets is a guy that's being thrown out there as a guy to watch out at quarterback coach. Um, you know, he knows Josh Gaddis, he knows Joe Brady. Um, so there's definitely some connection points there. Steve Kazula, who worked with Gaddis at Michigan, just hired at UMass as the offensive coordinator. There's a, there's a connection there. And then Mario type guys, you know, there's obvious ones there. Uh, Frank Ponce, current App State offensive coordinator, and James Coley, the newly elevated co-offensive coordinator slash tight ends coach at Texas A&M. So there is options. There's quality options. And I agree. I mean, quarterback coach is vital. You got to develop that spot, even if you're not the OC. I think one thing with, with ponds, which is interesting, I was actually scrolling today. It looks like app state started their spring ball today. So oh, like wow. spring practice. So, I mean, I feel like if it's, if it's, I'm not sure if ponds would maybe leave at this point with, kind yeah. of practice already going but who knows yeah i don't know about i just if, thought it was interesting if they offered him i don't I mean I don't, this is me speculating yeah if he, if he was offered co-oc quarterback coach at miami he'd leave in a yeah. minute yeah I, I believe it but i just i did think it was interesting the app state's already starting which is super early by the way i mean they got to be the first school i've seen start spring ball, spring ball i am also curious about tight ends coach um yeah. just because it's a premier position at the university of miami you could argue like during this 15 year run of mediocrity at Miami, that's the one position maybe that's kind of held like consistently held up its end of the bargain. Um, and it's random, right. That, that, you know, Miami is tight end university. It's cool. Um, so got to keep that rolling. Um, and obviously Steven Fields still, you know, still employed at the university of Miami um, and, and is, in the mix, I'm sure. Uh, but I am curious what the end results will be at tight ends coach. Um, let's take a break there. And on the other side, we'll get into some schedule talk. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we are back. Again, want to apologize for any issues that might be happening in the recording of this episode. Comcast is getting me again. Um, so I will take zero accountability and just blame it on Comcast. <laughs> uh, let's just dive into the schedule talk. Uh, you know, everyone listening to this podcast can Google it and look at it as we talk about it if you want, but uh, 
let's just start here, Gabby, because I do think schedule matters, right? In college football, in terms of how it lays out, um, the flow of the schedule matters. I think we saw it this year, honestly, starting with Alabama. If you're not ready for it can really mess up the momentum of your season. Um, we saw that play out. They went Alabama app state, right? Yeah. Is that the one too? Yeah. And app state, you know, big time group of five program. That's, you know, again, kind of, you know, they, they did win that game, but I think it was a little bit of a confidence shaker. Um, so enough of last year talk, uh, 2022 talk. How do you feel like the flow of this schedule, this 2022 schedule kind of shakes out? I mean, I honestly kind of really like it. Um, you know, I think that, again, we saw with last year, I like how you just kind of open up with a couple really winnable games with Bethune, Southern Miss. And then, uh, you know, I really like that first like four game stretch because you do go to Texas A&M early. But I also think, let's say, if Miami's not prepared to win that game or whatever it is, you have an opportunity to come back with Middle Tennessee and sort of get that right before you have that bye and get into right. the ATC. Um, I kind of, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of where the buy sort of sits, um, but it is what it is. I do think it's an opportunity to just sort of reset, uh, refocus or whatever it is and go straight into ACC play. But um, I do think it gives Miami just sort of time to sort of build up to being, I think by week, I guess that would be week five. Um, I think that they should sort of know who they are at that point. I think it'd be, a, I think it's a really good opportunity to just sort of run through that. Um, not really any long road stands, no, no real big home stands either at, uh, in ACC play. So um, I guess that sort, of it, it, that sort of is what it is. But, um, you know, I think that it's, uh, it's okay. I think it gets a little dicey there at the end. I think November is definitely going to be interesting. But, you know, I honestly don't have many complaints about the way that it all sort of worked out for Miami. I think it kind of sets up pretty well. I agree. And I agree with your point about the bye week. It is, it's more on the early side, but I will say at least it comes before the North Carolina game. So at least they're getting that bye week before a relatively big game. You know, at least it's not an early bye and it comes before Duke. Right. Um, so that is, that is nice that the bye at least lines up that way. Um, what do you feel like when you look at this schedule, I think we could go a lot of different ways with this question. What is, you know, as we look at it now and the state of this Miami program, et cetera, et cetera, to you, what is the most important game of this season? Yeah. I mean, I just, I was kind of thinking about this. I don't know if it's going to be a little hot takey, but um, I mean, I think there's a couple that you can point to, but for me, sure. it, it, it might be, more, it might be North Carolina for me. And that's uh, it's what just, it is for me too. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think, all right. So, I mean, you want, you got to slay that dragon. First of all, I feel like yeah, Miami's enough. hasn't been able, yeah, like you gotta, you gotta sort of get rid of the North Carolina thing and just kind of be, be done in a way with it. Um, I think that's a big, I think that's just a sort of setting the, the, the pace of the ACC. You got to get that big one yep. out of the way because North Carolina has a chance to always be at the top of the coastal. So you need win to sort of coastal. get that win. Yeah. yeah. And it really, that's the, the goal right now is when the ACC it's not, I don't, I'm not sure if the goal right now is, beat Texas A&M, beat Clemson, all that type of stuff. I think it's get to Charlotte. I think the first big step in getting to Charlotte is taking care of North Carolina, that first game of the ACC. And again, I think it's sort of that, I think that sort of sets the, the tone of what the conference play is going to be. I think it's a great first conference game. Um, so I'm sort of looking yeah. at that North Carolina game as, uh, you know, the one for me. 
you mentioned it. It's the first ACC game, right? And uh, man, Mac Brown really owned Manny Diaz here the yeah. last three years. Um, and you're right. It's time to end that. Um, yeah, I mean, look, is North Carolina the, the biggest, like the best team on Miami's schedule? No, that would be Texas A&M probably. Uh, Clemson's going to be good again. Pittsburgh probably is better than North Carolina if we're being honest, but you're right. Just the way this schedule lays out Miami's and, and it's again, it, the bye week goes into that game, which to me makes it kind of that, you know, cliche must win situation. Yeah. Um, enough of North Carolina, enough of them throwing the upside down. You, uh, this, yeah, just Need to, need to start handling North Carolina. Yeah, it's crazy because, yeah. like, they had, like, Miami in recent years, you know, for the most part, there is that, what was it, 2017 year where uh, Pittsburgh beat Miami. But for the most part, Miami can handle Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, North Carolina, on the other hand, gives Miami problems. And so it's time to end that. And you're right. Start ACC on a good note. Um, get things rolling downhill, get some momentum going, get some confidence going, et cetera. Um, the toughest three game stretch of this schedule. I had trouble with this. I mean, I think you could go two different ways because yeah. there's not really like, I mean, if we're being real, it's, it's ACC schedule, right? So yeah, it's not exactly. like, it's not grueling. It's not grueling. Um, so there's, you know, some back-to-backs that are a little tricky, yeah. but in terms of like three games, same, I think there's, there's debates to be had. What would you highlight though, as the toughest three game stretch? Yeah, I, ha- I have an argument to be made for, and then I have like the one I actually picked. The one I actually picked is the last three games of the season. So it's at Georgia tech at Clemson and then home against Pitt. Uh-huh. Um, obviously with Clemson and Pitt, I mean, Clemson is Clemson. You're going to Clemson. Um, is Clemson ever going to come back to Miami? I don't know. I feel like the, I feel like we've gone through that a lot of times. And then Pitt obviously just won the ACC, so I mean you're kind of right. going up against the two premier ACC teams in terms of Clemson, who's always been there, and then Pitt, who was able to you know sort of squeeze one out last year. So um, I think that's tough. And again, eight those ACC games are extremely valuable, and you do have those eight that those cross division ACC games count. Uh, you have to, I feel like those last two could sort of make or break the way that oh, yeah. the, the ACC sort of shakes out for Miami. So um, those, that three game shift, not really super worried about Georgia tech, but they fall into but that it's on the road. category. Yeah, exactly. It is on the road and they beat Miami recently. You know, what was it? Two years ago that they beat Miami. I feel like they kind of gave them a, a fit last year also. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's probably, that's the one I went with. And then what's the one you would make a case for? My one, I make the. I think the first stretch. It's uh, North Carolina home at Virginia Tech, and then Duke. Okay. And that's just because you have to go. I mean, North Carolina for the reasons we said. Going to Virginia Tech is obviously one of the toughest atmospheres in the country to play in. When Lane St- when Lane Stadium sort of rocking, I know they're kind of going through their own transition, but still. And then Duke is just kind of the third team that falls in there. So I liked your first one of Georgia Tech, Clemson, Pitt. I, I think you could argue too, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Clemson. Okay, um, yeah. I mean, I don't think like I mean, Florida State's not like that great, but still rivalry game. I mean, you know, a not great Florida State team beat Miami in 2021 somehow. Um, 
Just to be different, I'll go A&M, Middle Tennessee, and North Carolina. Yeah, that's nice too. I mean, obviously Middle Tennessee is a G5 school, but they went bowling last year. You know, they're decent. Their quarterback is from South Florida, so always has yeah. always have that potential coming home story of guy that just beats his beats the big local program that did that passed up on him. And then AM, you know, toughest game on the schedule as things look right now. And we discussed North Carolina, how they just for whatever reason owned Miami here in recent years. Um, trap game. Trap what game. Oh, at, at Virginia. That's what I got, man. We think too much alike. I know, man. It's crazy. Uh, we did yeah. not. We did not talk about this, but before, by the way, we don't just like we didn't line this up. This <laughs> just happens, right? So, so okay. So the schedule lines out like this: Duke, home, then at Virginia, then yeah. Florida State, home. Yeah. Right. So we mentioned Florida State, obviously rivalry game. You know, not a game. I mean, a game everyone looks forward to, but. Obviously, uh, Virginia, I think, has shown they're good enough to give Miami a fight, good enough to even beat Miami some of these years. And they have, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC returning, Brennan Armstrong, who's just, uh, you know, an annoying, crafty lefty. Um, All lefties are crafty, right? They are. Armstrong's just, like, annoying. Like, he's just good and – just slings it around everywhere and he's super like gritty. I'm a big fan. I think Virginia getting oh, back great. is actually is actually yeah. really big. Great college quarterback. For sure. Um so yeah, on the same page there. With Virginia being the trap game. Um best I had trouble with this one. Best offense Miami will play. I'm going with Virginia, man. I think Brennan Armstrong. I think Brennan Armstrong might be. I mean, I don't know if Texas, I don't know what Texas A&M is going to look like. I know that they sort of, I mean, maybe I Nash would probably Johnson. go with them, but quarterback is kind of a question. Yeah, that's mark. what I'm saying. And I feel like, I feel like Brennan Armstrong is going to, I feel like Brennan Armstrong might be the best. I maybe got to look it over again, but I feel like he might be the best quarterback on the schedule. Like, yes, overall quarterback. I think he is. And yeah. that's why I think that, you know, Virginia could be good. Um, and Tony Elliott is a, you know, an offensive guy, an offensive guy as well. So. I think Brennan Armstrong with him could, I think it's gonna be an interesting pairing, but um, you know, I think Tony Elliott potentially elevates him a little bit, just kind of him being that offensive guy. So that's what I'm going for with offense. Pittsburgh intrigues me too. I mean, they, they've had some change there. Mark Whipple moving on. Don Slovis. Yes. So right. Keaton Slovis slots in for Kenny Pickett. Yeah, that could be that could be that could be so, nice too. And they they return uh, Jordan Addison, right, the Bolitnikov yeah. winner. So they did lose their receivers coach, right? So they, they got picked apart a little bit, but yeah. we'll see if they can keep it rolling on offense with what they're trying to get done there. Best defense, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I guess I think the Clemson Texas A&M debate right. could probably be had, That's but the I debate. mean, so I mean, I'm probably going to go Texas A&M just because they're that big SEC school and. Same. You know, so I, that's probably where I'm leaning there. I will too. Texas A&M, they're stacking talent. Um, that's how you get it done on defense. FSU game, right? I think this dis- deserves its own discussion. What are our thoughts going into this year's, you know, February thoughts on the FSU game played November 5th? 
Yeah, man. I mean, it's, I feel like it's sandwiched in between three road games. Um, it's going to be like Miami's only home game for like, like over the course of a month. Right. Um, so I think that is a way to sort of make it an, an event, you know, where Miami could be like, this is the only, like, there's like, you have like 35 days in between the times that Miami's going to be here. This is the only Saturday that they're there. Um, again, I think it comes out a, a key part of the schedule, just being early November and all that stuff. And down that final stretch, I think that's going to be a key game. So, um, I do like where it sits on the schedule and, you know, I think that it's a, it's going to be an opportunity for Miami to create a, a really a, a pretty solid home environment, just given again, the amount of time that it's going to be between uh, those games at hard rock. So I, I'm excited for it. I think it falls at a pretty good uh, uh, spot. Again, I feel like Florida state typically gets better throughout the year. We kind of saw that a little bit last year where they started off really rocky and they sort of kind of put it all together later on. Um, so I think that, you know, that we could probably get a, a good version of Florida state again. And, you know, Miami's going to have to sort of take care of business. What uh, do we feel? What's our Homer bias take? Has Florida state improved since going, like, have they improved their roster since uh, a 2021 season, which they went five and seven, but beat the hurricanes. Yeah. I mean, maybe a little bit like, you know, they got the Tatum Bethune linebacker from UCF. I think he's pretty good. Um, I'm not sure if there's any like big time, you know, additions that they have, where I'm just like, Oh boy, they really added this guy. So uh, they did add some guys at wide receiver, I guess. I don't think it's anyone super special. Um, I mean, they might be a little bit better naturally, um, but I'm not super like, Oh my gosh, you know, Florida state really figured it out and got some dudes. So um, not really that impressed by them. They lose Jermaine Johnson and Kyra Thomas, I think. And I think both those John guys. Corbin. Yeah, just Sean Corbin. So a lot of guys that sort of did a lot of big things for them uh, last year are no longer there. So I think they're also going to have to have a few guys step up. I'm not super concerned about what Florida State's roster looks like. And uh, they blew it in recruiting and they won the June Bake Off. They lost on National Signing Day. So I guess that's how it goes. Yeah, I mean, look, to me, just roster-wise, it looks like a six or seven-win team, maybe. I would say five to seven wins. Uh, so I'll go six and six, meaningless February prediction for the Knolls. But again, somehow they beat Miami in, in 2021, which I still have trouble yeah. coming to grips with. Yeah, but thank you. Thank you for Mario Cristobal, though, because... Thank you, fourth and 14. Thank you, fourth and 14. Um. Way too early expectation for Miami's overall record, right? In relation to how this schedule lays out, because I do, again, the schedule layout does matter. Um, we know what Miami has coming back at this point. Uh, so to you, obviously Miami went seven and five last year. Is this schedule easier to you? If it is easier, does, does that change how you feel year over year about what this team can accomplish do you feel like this team is better than last year's team etc cetera, etc cetera. you know give me your way 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 too early let's call it just expectation about yeah. what type of team this this is in relation to this schedule yeah i mean i think i do think there's a 10 win team i mean you got to think about this time last year you know De'Ara king was going to be the quarterback he was coming off that massive you know acl injury there was always the question mark about how ready he was going to be. I think just coming into, um, you know, this 2022 season, I think you're feeling just much better about the quarterback situation 
just because Tyler Van Dyke really found his stride. I mean, just became one of the premier quarterbacks in the conference. I feel like he kind of got over the, some of those early hiccups that maybe lost Miami, those Virginia and North Carolina games. Cause I'd make an argument that if he was who he was at the end of the season, Miami wins both of those. So, you know, I do think that this was a, that this is already a roster that's potentially built to win 10 games in this conference. You also don't have to deal with the Alabama thing to open the year. I think you have a couple of weeks to sort of get this all settled in with the new coaching staff and all that stuff. So, you know, I know we said 10 wins last year. I think that this is probably a little bit more realistic to expect 10 wins this year. Not a ton of roster turnover. Would you predict it? I, I might. I, I might go like nine. I think like the over under wins, I think like, you know, eight and a half or nine and a half could be pretty fair. Um, you know, but I, I could see 10 wins, but, you know, I could all, I also know how this roster sort of been. So um, I could see maybe eight or nine. I do think they're going to be better than last year. And I like the way the schedule sort of shakes out better than last year as well. You don't have like the premier G5 team like Appalachian State was. You know, I don't think Metal Tennessee is anywhere on that scale. Same with Southern Miss. So um, I think a lot more winnable games early on. Um, Texas A&M, not really expecting a ton there. But I think overall, uh, not a ton of roster turnover outside of like Rambo, Mike Harley on offense. Um, I guess Jared Williams on the O-line, but on, even on the defensive side, not a lot of guys sort of leaving. I mean, I'm feeling pretty good about just like the way that this is so all going to come together. You're saying 8, 9, 10. Give me the number. I mean, I, I, I guess just me being a little homer, I'm going to go 10. But okay. I think more realistically, I'd probably, like if I was like, like gun to my head, I'd probably say 9. So where I'm at, I'm at right now, to me, this looks like, I still see holes, right? And I don't, I don't think the ACC's like, I mean, I don't think the schedule's like grueling. Um, but to me, this, this, I think the team is still an eight and four type of team, maybe a nine and three type of team. But I would lean at this point with what I see on paper at eight and four. Um, In terms of getting to 10 wins, I still think there's some work to be done in the portal. This yeah. is just, you know, where I'm at. I still see holes. I still see holes at offensive line. I think this team would really benefit from, from adding a starter or two on the offensive line that can help with the physicality, you know, in the run game on the line of scrimmage. Um, on defense, I see a lot of holes in terms of like what it takes to be a 10 win team. I think this team still needs a pass rusher. I think this team still needs a D tackle. I think this team still needs a linebacker. I think you could argue two linebackers two linebackers for sure. <laughs> and I still think this team needs a corner. Um, if we're talking 10 wins. Yeah. Maybe some of these things are, are addressed. With the freshman class, I think that's a lot to put on freshmen, but I could see like a Wesley Besaint stepping in, you know, being a starter at linebacker as a true freshman for like the final six games or something um, and, and being relatively good for a freshman. Uh, I could see maybe a Cyrus Moss helping as like a situational pass rusher on third down, right? I don't think he's a three down or three down uh, edge guy at this point in his career. I think he's got to get stronger, but can he be a, a, a good pass rusher in situations? Sure. Um, corner. 
you know, I think Chris Graves has a lot of talent coming in as a freshman. Again, we'll see how that does play out. I think that's a lot to put on freshmen. I think he could do it, but I do think in, in order for this team, if we're keeping it real, I think if this, if we're going to look at this team as a 10 win team, I still think there's a lot of work to be done still in the portal. And I hope Miami is more aggressive than we've seen, which I think is for a reason uh, because they don't have a coaching staff uh, during this, you know, first portal wave of the off season, but after spring football. So that time of April, May, when the portal is going to get flooded again and Miami has their coaching staff in place and potential transfers can know, okay, if I go to Miami, this is who my coach is going to be. Um, I hope Miami's aggressive and addresses some of these needs. Um, which again, I don't think this roster is bad, but I don't think, I still think there's, if we're, if we're being real, I still think there's some holes to address to get to like the 10 win level. Yeah. I just like, my thing is like, I just feel like there was like an avenue last year for even as bad as it was. I'm not saying that the roster was like complete or anything, yeah. but I feel like they were just like, again, I mean, it's such like, I know it's like a sort of loser mentality and all that stuff, but really like when you look back, I mean, if Andres Borgales makes a field goal or doesn't slip on a field goal sure. or than 14, if Tyler Van Dyke, you know, doesn't get the ball tipped at the line of scrimmage against North Carolina. I mean, really like it's a few plays away that already could have potentially led to a 10 win sure. season. And then the bowl game, I think Miami would have beat Washington state. I think they lost to central Michigan or whatever it was. So, you know, I don't know. That's why I think that I just don't see the ACC as being like, that like even as with the holes and with everything that you said which is obviously accurate i just don't even know if the acc is good enough where it's just like miami having those holes could still potentially be better than some of the other teams in the conference and i i know miami's typically good to drop one that they shouldn't i, I think that's something that people right. should expect at this point hopefully that starts to change down the road but um i always think that you have to sort of leave that open um and so yeah i mean i don't know What's, I think that there, I think there's a chance, but you're probably more right than I am. What's the one position group if you if you can only pick one, and you're like, all right, go address this in the portal. What's the biggest one for you? Yeah, to me, to me, it's linebacker. I feel like they it was linebacker last year too. I think they needed to go get a guy last year. Um, I know there was people at Miami who believed they needed to go get linebacker. I think there were other more important people that did, did not want to go get a linebacker. So, um, you know, I, I do think that that's a position that they need to sort of try to try to address. But again, I think without a defensive coordinator, it's hard to tell a linebacker, hey, come to Miami. Right. You know, like you don't even know what the defense is going to look like, especially a guy that needs to make this one decision count. So, yeah, I'm looking at the spring and, you know, post spring to see what else happens, because there's going to be another, like we said, another tidal wave of talent looking to sort of move on or get out of whatever situation they're in. So um, definitely looking at, at, at linebackers to see who they can bring in there. I agree. I think too, and this is just more of like an, an, an impact type of thing. I think you could make the argument for edge rush. Um, if you have a good edge rusher, it can cover up a lot of issues. Um, And if, if Nigel E. Kelly was going to be healthy, which I mean, I I don't know. I I know. I don't think he's going to play spring from what I understand. He might be ready for the fall, but I mean, I feel like he's someone that maybe with a full spring, full summer, Maybe right. he could be someone that helps. I mean, Cyrus Moss, again, I think he still needs to put on weight and all that stuff. I think he needs to right. sort of reshape his body before he's fully ready. 
Um, so maybe he could help out situationally, but yeah, edge rushers is a spot where it just wasn't good enough last year. I think we saw that. Right. I think it was a very clear decline there. So, um, I, that's another spot where I wouldn't mind, uh, snagging someone. We got lots of time to figure out this roster and, uh, still plenty of coaching news to come. So stay locked onto insidetheu.com. Let's wrap up this podcast here. Longer podcast, uh, but I think it was a pretty good discussion. Again, I apologize for uh, poor internet connection issues. Uh, hopefully it was still listenable and uh, appreciate everyone who... Maybe next podcast we'll we'll kind of do a dive into recruiting so till next time take care okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can conquer it I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.